Welcome to the Humans of Mila podcast, presented by the Malia Jones Network. You know, I couldn't walk without falling. Uh, my legs were, they didn't work, you know, and so that was pretty much when I had the defining moment of, you know, I have to learn how to work smarter, not harder, and I need passive income. It's time to get inside the minds of hustlers. What do they do on a daily basis to separate themselves from the competition? What helps me is to keep the hard times in the front of my mind. This allows me to go into these big moments with a different perspective. They're local, but definitely not average. These are the humans of Nila. So I guess we'll get started, Dr. Jones, with you maybe introducing yourself, um, kind of tell us you know, who you are, what you do, and then um, we'll kind of step into some of those questions we talked about yesterday. Okay, so I'm uh, Gary Jones. I'm a, a family practice physician. I'm one of the founders of Vantage Health Plan uh, 25 years ago. I'm the CEO and chief medical officer for Vantage Health Plan. And then we also, Vantage uh, is owner of Affinity Health Group, which is a large physician group practice uh, in Northeast Louisiana. And then we also are owner of Monroe Surgical Hospital, which is a 10-bed surgery hospital in Monroe. Okay. Um, so what are your thoughts, first of all, about COVID-19? Or do you prefer to call it COVID-19 or coronavirus? And kind of how, is there a difference? Like, kind of just tell me what some of your thoughts are around how it's affecting you and your, your people right now. Yeah, so as far as the name, I think people are using both names interchangeably. Uh, COVID, COVID-19 is a little bit shorter, so a lot of people are using it in their correspondence. A lot of things aren't going to go back to the way we used to do them. Uh, just for instance, uh, this interview you and I are doing now over Zoom, uh, everybody's, you know, just as an employer advantage, um, we've moved almost all of our meetings to either WebEx or Microsoft uh, meetings or uh, to Zoom. And so, you know, we're used to, we have a large meeting in one of our uh, large meeting rooms with 20 or 30 people, or we'd have a, a group of 10 meeting in a boardroom or conference room. Uh, we've moved everything now to, to WebEx or some other uh, video chat. Uh, we've also have almost half our employees now working from home at Vantage. A little harder to do with our affinity health group uh, with all of our clinics. But um, anyway, as an employer, we're using technology more than we ever have. And um, I think because people are getting used to it, uh, I doubt we go back to the old way of doing things. It's so much easier. You can go to three or four meetings from your desk, from home. If you're traveling, you, you, it's really easy to do. So I think it's going to really push those types of meetings. As a uh, healthcare provider, it's really changed a lot too. We knew that telemedicine was coming. And as a health plan, we have our own transportation services that we provide to our members. So you probably have seen some of the affinity vans uh, out around the countryside. So Vantage actually ensures Medicare members, uh, large group commercial groups, and we're one of the plans on the individual exchange and the small group exchange in Louisiana. And we have our own vans and drivers that pick our members up that have transportation problems and take them to their providers. So one of the nice things about telemedicine is if the patient uh, could have been treated by a video chat program like we're doing, 
uh, they could have spared themselves the expense or trouble of, of traveling a long way to their provider's office. A lot of um, medical visits can be done by video chat. I mean, upwards of probably 50%. And, um, and so this has really pushed us because we were concerned about our patients that come in for regular checkups that have chronic illnesses, being in a waiting room with someone who was coughing or having respiratory symptoms. As soon as it started, we reached out to all of our um, providers and asked them to call all their patients that were on their schedules and to convert as many of those to telemedicine visits as they could to keep those chronically ill people out of our waiting rooms and, in, and keep them at home where they were safer. Um, at the same time, we put up signs outside our clinics to tell anybody, anyone who had an acute illness to call a respiratory hotline that we set up so as to keep these people out of our clinics. And we're treating them by telemedicine also. And if they fall into a high-risk group, we're arranging for them to, to uh, come by and have a test for COVID-19. And we're doing that testing actually in their car as they drive by so uh, we can protect our employees. So when did we first see our first case here in Washington Parish? And is that somebody that you actually did a test on or one of your people um, tested at the drive-through thing or is that how it happened? Yeah, I'm not sure I can tell you when the first case was, but it's been within the past two weeks. Wow. Uh, so we're still having some, uh, there's a delay in getting our tests back. So if, if you got a test a week ago, you're just now probably getting the result back. And so most patients that we're seeing, we're having to treat them uh, as if they have COVID. So anyone with respiratory symptoms, we're sending them home to self-quarantine. Uh, people, because it is hard to get a test and we're having to prioritize who we do testing on, at this time, we're only testing people that fall into that high-risk category. So if you're over 65, if you have any chronic illnesses, uh, if you're a healthcare worker, those people that have symptoms consistent with COVID-19 are the ones we're testing. And of course, the hospitals, even a higher priority would be people that are hospitalized with symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. So um, those, those hospitalized patients are getting first priority. So they're, they were getting their test results back much quicker. The ones we're doing are the next priority, which are the high risk. It's still taking us a week, sometimes 10 days to get those back. I think this weekend, the national labs may have caught up a little bit. It seems like they're turning results out a little faster. Uh, by the time the national labs um, got their testing up and going, they were, there was a backlog. And so it took them a while to, to get those tests done. So hopefully now we'll be able to get a test in a few days. But um, we want to get to the point where we can test anyone that's symptomatic or anyone who may have been exposed to someone who was symptomatic. Right. And I'm assuming because of HIPAA and stuff, there's not really like a list of who's been infected. So you can kind of see, have I been around any of these people? Or, uh, I mean, I see on Facebook, you know, people will put, you know, my such and such has been affected and, you know, whatever. But as far as there's not probably a list of who, who these people are or anything like that. Right. But, that is true, but healthcare professionals are following up on all that. So every time we have a positive, we have a nurse practitioner that's calling those patients and, and telling them and questioning them about anyone they might have been around. And then we're contacting those people. 
and uh, talking to them about their symptoms and telling them the home quarantine. And if any of them are in high risk category, we're having them come in for testing also. So um, while, while there's not a list that each individual can look at to see if they've been around any of those people, the healthcare professionals taking care of them or reaching out to people that have been in contact. Okay, that's good. There, there is a difference between just casual contact and someone who needs to be tested. So, um, if just because you pass somebody in a you know in a grocery store or something like that, it's probably not going to be a problem. Uh, people who need to worry are people who are spending fifteen minutes more in a in a room with someone. Uh, it usually ends up being people who are living in a household with them. Or if, depending on the work situation, if there if there's two or three people in one small room that's working together, they would need to be tested for sure. Uh, a lot of work environments where you're just walking past someone in the hallway or something, it's unlikely that you're going to catch something from them. What um, do you say to those people who think that this is kind of like political and like over uh, dramatic or over dramatized? Like, you know, what do you say to those people who maybe even aren't taking the precautions that the governor's putting in place? I mean, I find it super disrespectful for one thing, you know, cause I'm trying to protect my, I still have all four of my grandparents and so I'm still right. trying to protect them. And so what are your thoughts on how our community is doing to kind of handle this pandemic? You know, people, uh, it's interesting. Maybe we can find arguments just because they look at things from different perspectives. Uh, when, when I'm watching the news, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from the perspective of the person that's speaking. And I haven't heard anything that I didn't understand. Uh, even though it may be contrary to what someone else is saying, the perspective's different. If you're coming from a state where you have very little COVID-19, um, your perspective's different uh, than if you're John Bell Edwards in Louisiana when they've got a huge number of cases that are coming out every day. So um, I actually want to think that people are, are handling it very, very well. Uh, very people need to be less, less critical. Yes, exactly. It is very dramatic. For sure. I don't think we were prepared for anything of this sort. Um, speaking of preparedness, are we prepared um, in Louisiana or in Washtenaw Parish specifically um, to handle a dramatic increase in cases if that's something that starts happening over the next couple of weeks? I think we're as prepared as we could be. Uh, you know, uh, a disaster is something that happens that you're unprepared for. So, you know, we can, we can always have a disaster, but um, I think we're in a pretty good place today. And I think the actions that the governor and the president took when they took them have dramatically reduced the number of cases that, that we're going to see. So uh, these measures are very dramatic. If you, if you could put all the population in a 14 day quarantine, uh, the people who were sick would get well and they wouldn't be exposed to anyone new. And so it would all stop. You wouldn't have any new cases. Uh, the problem is that that's impossible. But to the extent we do self-quarantine and, and uh, you know, keep that social distancing, we will dramatically reduce cases. And I think that the adoption of those procedures uh, by the entire country has been very dramatic. Uh, it's amazing if you think about how many people we have in this country and how dramatic the adoption of those social distancing has, has happened. It's pretty remarkable. 
It is, especially whenever you're, you know, during the first few weeks, you'd be walking through the grocery store and all the shelves are empty. It's like, what is happening here? Um, so as far as the, the symptoms, okay, so a 14-day quarantine, um, sometimes you're asymptomatic, right? And you may be exposing other people or, you know, infecting other people and not knowing it. Um, how long is that period? And, you know, do you, I see like on the news, there'll be checking temperature, you know, before they can come into a room. Are you only infectious when you're having the fever or kind of what are your, what are you seeing for that? So there is a difference in your, how easily it is to, to, um, to give it to someone else. So if you're not symptomatic, you're going to give it to them by touching them. So either you're shaking hands, so they're, they're rubbing their face, they're shaking your hand and then you're rubbing your face. So if they're asymptomatic, that's the only way you're going to get it from them. So it can be them handing you a pencil that they've been using. Um, but there's some type of contact between two people uh, if they're asymptomatic. If they're symptomatic and they're coughing and uh, sneezing and you're in a small room with them, with, uh, then you can get just breathing even if you don't touch them. So people who are symptomatic are going to be more contagious than people who are asymptomatic. So if we wash our hands every time we interact with someone, we go wash our hands afterwards. Uh, if if we someone gives us something to hold and we take it, but then we go do something with it and put it in the way and then go wash our hands, washing our hands after every interaction like that is enough to keep you from catching it from someone who's asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. Once they start coughing and and become symptomatic, that's when you get into an issue of, um, you know, breathing and being in the air. Um, so, so there is a big difference. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about passing a pencil, like how long would it live on something like that? Like if, if it's on a water bottle or, you know, like maybe somebody who is sick at a grocery store putting out some product and then somebody comes and picks that up. So how long it can live and how long it's infectious is two different things. So they're saying it can live for several days. Uh, how long it's infections is probably more in terms of hours. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, if, if the person's asymptomatic and they're washing their hands before they do things like that, uh, it's very unlikely that you're going to get it if you're washing your hands after you uh, go out grocery shopping and things mm -hmm. like that. So. Um, I think the risk there is very low. M most people are, are catching this because they're around somebody who actually is symptomatic uh, and they're spending, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or two with that person. Mm -hmm. And so like even, okay. So, and so in kids initially it was saying that not really maybe kids and teenagers and stuff like that. So, I mean, how prevalent is it? Like, okay, for example, I have an eight-year-old. Like, is it likely that if he, um, I guess, has interacts with somebody, I mean, he can spread it even if he doesn't become sick and stuff like that? Yeah, so uh, younger, younger children in particular uh, can, have it, can have it and be totally asymptomatic from it. And because of the way children play, they are very, very likely to to give it to any other children they play with. So, um, you know, if you've got small children, you probably noticed that when your children started going to school that the whole family got sick. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our children 
uh, are very affectionate. Like when they play with each other, they play with the same toys. And um, uh, adults, as we get older, tend to take, keep a little distance from other people. But children, they don't have any barriers. They're, they're wrestling and playing, and uh, they're touching each other constantly. So, and they're not washing their hands. So, there's some graphs out on the internet showing the impact of different measures and. Uh, just keeping children out of school has a huge impact on, on reducing the transmission of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Just that one intervention, keeping kids out of school. Whenever I first saw that, I couldn't believe it. Like I was shocked, you know, but I definitely agree with it now. And I'm so thankful that, you know, our president did step in and start making, you know, those big decisions right away as soon as kind of they, they figured out how highly contagious it was. Um, so do you have any other thoughts or um, interesting things or perspective on, you know, what we can do now or in the future, like if other things like this happen? I mean, because I guess the last real big time this happened was, you know, 100 years ago. So, I mean, we go on about daily life and then wham, it just kind of out of nowhere uh, changes everything. So, I mean, what are your perspectives on on that and, you know, how long you think this will last and kind of what's on the other side of it? I, th- I think this is really going to change things going forward and make us a society that um, makes it harder for uh, a virus like this to cause a pandemic and that um, we, we're going to start using are going to start using technology more, both for education. I think you're going to start seeing education move, move, move more and more toward technology. Uh, businesses, as I said, uh, our business will never go back to the way it used to be because we've already embraced the technology now. Most of this technology we've had for years, uh, but it was a change in the way we did business. And so it took something like this to push us into using that technology, but it's been here. And same with telemedicine. Um, you know, before we had COVID-19, we still had the flu, and yet we had people coming in our offices with chronic illnesses sitting in the same waiting room with people who were coughing. Um, we've changed that immediately when COVID-19 came out. We started treating people that we could at home to keep them completely out of the office. We moved people with chronic illnesses that did not have an acute illness to the morning visits. And we move people with acute infectious illnesses to the evening, preferably after 3 p.m. in the evening. So we're keeping them separate. And then um, I don't think that that's going to go back to the way it used to be. I think we're probably going to continue to schedule patients to keep those populations separate. And probably won't have people come into our office unless they need a test or some blood work or something. If it's just a regular follow-up visit, see how people are doing on the medications and things, we'll probably do that by telemedicine and let them stay home. Now, is that so, a phone number or something like that? Like, how do you get hooked up with that? Is it a doctor's order or kind of what does that look like? You know, one of the most important things I can say is before anyone goes to their doctor's office, even if you already have an appointment, you need to call your doctor and talk to them because most physicians now, they'll look at your chart and they'll make a decision whether you really need to come in or whether they can do that by telemedicine. And if they can do it by telemedicine, that's what you want to do. There are some people that are going to need blood testing or some other type of test to follow up on, on some condition. And your physician will then arrange for you to have that done at a safe time of day. So like I was mentioning, maybe he'll have you come first thing in the morning. Uh, a lot of the little things like 
in the past, when you'd go to your doctor's office, you may spend 15 or 20 minutes in the waiting room updating patient information and things. You're going to see all of that be moved to the telephone. You're going to have people calling you to update all that stuff over the telephone. Uh, we're not going to want people in our offices any longer than they have to be. We're going to want them to come through the front door, go back to the exam room, get whatever testing done they need to have and leave and go back home. So they're a shorter period of time for them to come in contact with someone who's contagious. So you may uh, keep that drive through testing. <laughs> right. Uh, certainly for COVID-19. I'll tell you one of the reasons we did that up front was there was not enough protective personal protective gear. So, you know, we keep some on hand all the time for certain patients that, that have certain conditions, but um, the initial thought was everybody in the offices just needs to have personal protective equipment but then there wasn't any. And so we had to, we had to push all of those people who may have COVID-19 basically have them wait in their car and have the provider put on the personal protective equipment, go out to their car and treat them, um, including testing them for COVID-19. That way we could, we could ration the protective equipment and just have one provider at that site. Uh, rather than having to use use personal protective equipment for everyone in the clinic. Right. That's so smart. I mean, I just am so appreciative of all the measures y'all have taken. I mean, it really is incredible um, to see how many things have had to change, you know, in such a short order. Um, Savannah Ray is a good friend of mine. I don't, I, I know you know Savannah. Um, oh, yeah. And anyway, so we've, we've kind of talked a little bit, you know, about how her job has changed. And it's just really remarkable, you know, what all y'all been able to, to do in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Savannah's been really good. She's really taken the lead on, on our COVID-19 testing and telemedicine program. So it's been really good. So, um, so if the symptoms, kind of what, I've, what I'm hearing are dry cough, and I'm guessing that's like an unproductive, like you're not, you know, that kind of thing. And then any, um, any kind of cough that's persistent, as opposed to somebody who has just, they're coughing twice a day because of their allergies. This yeah. cough is the kind of cough you get when you have the flu or something. It's just very persistent and irritating. And then sore throat, um, runny nose, uh, cold symptoms. Red eyes. Red eyes, fever. And then as far as treatment or things that you can do to be proactive, you know, I've kind of heard vitamin C, I mean, that kind of stuff. Are there other things? Vitamin C, vitamin D. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, what a person's immunity has to do with their reaction to COVID-19. Uh, so it seems like people who have really fired up immune systems, older people and healthcare professionals, uh, who tend to have the most robust immune systems are often the ones that are having the more problems. Um, and same goes for children. We believe that one of the reasons children don't have as much trouble is because they have immature immune systems. Uh, they haven't been exposed response to this virus. And so it produces less inflammation and less damage to their lungs. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, one thing I do want to say, they talk a lot about healthcare professionals and the fact that they're kind of on the front lines. I'm not sure everybody really appreciates it, but uh, our providers in the hospitals and actually even all the hospital workers in the hospitals, they're exposed to this every day and they're wearing personal protective equipment. But even at that, a lot of these providers are even afraid to go home uh, to their families in the evening because of their exposure. And uh, so it's really disrupted their family life while a lot of us are having to, 
uh, quarantining home with our families. Often they're quarantining by themselves somewhere away from their family because, um, you know, they don't want to take the risk of exposing their family. So those people in the hospital, all the hospital workers are really, uh, it's uh, taking a toll on them because they're having to work long hours and they're often not able to go home and, uh, you know, get with their families and kind of restore themselves. Exactly. So it's been pretty tough on them. I know two nurses um, who have gotten, who've contracted it, you know, who are talking, and you know, that's, that's a big deal, you know, because they are right there in the line of fire, you know, every day. Um, so as far as how long do you think that this may linger around? And um, I mean, like, what, what do you think? I know that there's really no way of knowing, but kind of what are your thoughts on how long we may be dealing with this? I, I really do believe the measure, uh, not only did the, the, you know, our federal government, our state government uh, act very rapidly to respond, but the response that the citizens have had to those requests from our leaders has been remarkable. And I think we're going to see that the, uh, the, the figure that is not in any question is the deaths due to COVID-19. And I, th I think if you just watch the number of deaths each day, I think it's going to start to come down because of the effort. So the closer we get to that first 14 days of um, home quarantine, or uh, I think you're going to see more than the deaths start to come down. The other thing is the, um, the mortality rate has been very, very high. But as what, what's happening is we're not, testing people that are at low risk and we're not just testing we're not doing what we call surveillance testing uh, so if we were doing surveillance testing we'd be testing people that were asymptomatic just randomly uh, we would just be randomly checking people as they um, come into a clinic or something we're only testing people that are at high risk that are symptomatic and so when you look at statistics uh, obviously there's gonna be a higher percentage of those people who, uh, who have the illness and also have uh, a higher mortality rate. So um, those figures are not going to be particularly accurate. So if you want to watch what happens and what kind of response we get from all the, all the self-distancing, social distancing and things, I think you just have to watch the number of deaths per day and that should start to come down. But I'm very optimistic that these things are actually going to work pretty well. So why do you think Louisiana is kind of up there with like the epicenters of, you know, kind of like they're comparing us to New York and California. Why, why is that? Mardi Gras. Okay. So people came from all over the world to Mardi Gras and a lot of people got infected. And they, so that people came here from countries where there was infected for Mardi Gras. And of course our citizens uh, were participating in Mardi Gras and they got infected. And um, so if, if you look, it's the cities that have more international travel is where you had the first outbreaks. Mm. And so. Wow. Louisiana, I think Mardi Gras just happened to fall, you know, uh, right yeah. at a time when the COVID was beginning to spread worldwide. And because we had people coming to Mardi Gras from all over the world and there was no restriction at that time because we didn't know about it. Uh, right. we, we got a good dose of uh, COVID at Mardi Gras. Yikes. 
That's <laughs> terrible. So what do you do, Dr. Jones, to keep yourself inspired and to keep yourself motivated in times of chaos? You know, like some, what are some of the things that you do to, to stay positive and keep things moving? So, I mean, I, I enjoy responding to the need for changes. So uh, it's like a new problem each day to me is like a, you know, if you like working word games or you like solving other types of problems and riddles and things. So uh, I enjoy having a problem and looking for the solution and continuing to improve that solution going forward. So um, well, I, I definitely very much enjoy problem. what I do. And then I work with some very, really, really um, great people that inspire me every day too. Yes. Okay. That's all. Is there anything else that you feel like we need to know or be aware of or um, things that we can do to support uh, our local medical facilities and staff and anything else that you think that we can, we can do or should know? Just uh, pray for them every day. And uh, if you have an appointment with your doctor, be sure to call before you go. Cause he may have, he may want to make some other arrangements depending on what your needs are. Mm -hmm. um, but I think everyone's done a great job with this. Um, We'll, we'll keep working at it. I agree. Should we be watching the news right now, or is that just kind of a scary place to get sucked in? I think you should. I get a little aggravated with the with the politics getting involved with it, but um, but you do see the large majority of people really are trying to keep it out. You know, you got you got Democratic governors and Republican governors working together, and, and you got a Republican administration in Washington. That's you can tell they're doing their very best to reach out to Democratic governors. So. Um, I actually think they're doing a pretty good job considering how uh, partisan things have been over the last few years. I agree. I, I do say, I do think that that's one of the things that has kind of kept me inspired is just watching, you know, that process and people trying their best to work together and, you know, respect each other and all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. okay. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning. Um, we're working, like I said, on a little documentary and try to get some good information out there to the people. And um, I just think, you know, in your, your world, like you're just kind of the, the expert in it. And so uh, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, Dr. Jones. See you later. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Humans of Neela podcast presented by the Malia Jones Network.